Hey guys, welcome back to the Play Like a Girl podcast, one of the shows for SB Nation's Ohio State site, Land Grant Holy Land. We're two girls talking about sports because our opinion counts too. I'm your host, Tia Johnston, and I'm joined by my co-host, Meredith Hine. Thanks for tuning in today. Initially, we were going to focus on some positive things we've seen recently from former Ohio State players, but we had to move those to the end of the show to talk about some really ugly stats that came out this week. Today, we're going to talk about systemic racism in college football because it's a problem, just like it is everywhere else in America. And the only way we can start to fix it is by starting the discussion. Yeah, so to set the stage for you, here are a few stats from a 2018 study, which we'll link in the show notes. First, black men were 2.4% of undergrad students enrolled at the 65 universities that make up the Power Five conferences, but they comprise 55% of football teams and 56% of men's basketball teams on those campuses. Across four cohorts, 55.2% of black male student athletes graduated within six years, compared to 69.3% of student athletes overall, 60.1% of black undergraduate men overall, and 76.3% of undergrad students overall. At Ohio State, black men make up 2.3% of undergrads, but they make up 67% of basketball and football teams. That's a negative 64.7% difference. So black athletes graduated at a 41% rate compared to all athletes who graduated at a 73% rate. So what do these stats tell you? Basically, yikes. (laughs) Yeah, in a word, yikes. Not only are black men not getting into college, the system is failing the few who managed to get in. So the researcher who conducted the study writes, you know, he's not suggesting that Athletic departments should award fewer scholarships to talented black male student athletes. They deserve these scholarships. But what he deems troubling is this like disgracefully small number of black male students in the undergraduate population versus their huge representation of revenue generating sports teams. I mean, they make up more than half. So these campuses on which admissions officers and others often maintain that academically qualified black men cannot be found, yet their football and basketball teams are overwhelmingly comprised of these black male student athletes. It just doesn't add up. Yeah, definitely. And I'm really glad that the researcher pointed out the caveat that they're absolutely, he's absolutely not suggesting that fewer scholarships should be awarded to black men because the opposite is really true. If you're finding people who are qualified to attend universities as part of the sports teams, then you should be able to find qualified black men to just attend the university without playing sports. Like the pool is clearly present. And when I read this study, like I had a very visceral response. Like I got really upset because, you know, these are sports that you and I love a lot. But as I was thinking about it, like what is the difference really between these college athletes, especially black college athletes and like gladiators, really? You think about the power dynamic between college athletes and their coaches. Um, You look at what's happening with Iowa now with black players being forced to do their strength and conditioning programs under this strength and conditioning coach who has been there for decades and who has apparently been racist toward them for decades. And yet these players are forced to do what the coaches tell them to do. They're forced to go battle on the field. In the case of football, literally banging their heads against 
other players, the ground, et cetera, risking concussion and injury for these scholarships, for their chance to get a college education. And when you add in the fan component and the fact that we're like, they're there for our entertainment, like it made me feel just really disgusting, especially when you consider that a lot of these athletes don't have the optionality or the resources to be able to get a college scholar, like to go to college on their own or even to transfer to a different school. So a lot of the things that, you know, you and I might take for granted about attending, you know, a four-year university are things that these athletes don't necessarily have. And to your point about that Iowa coach, like there's a stat in the study that says on average, Power five football coaches earn $3.7 million annual salaries. Head coaches of men's basketball teams earn an average of $2.7 million. Um, and black men make up 11.9% of these head coaches. So as, as mentioned before, black men make up the majority of these teams, the sports that bring in the most revenue for their respective schools and conferences and coaches, and yet only a fraction of the men who are in charge are black. Like, you can't even, like, say that that's a fraction. It's just so minimal. It's interesting because we've seen from this study that, obviously, Ohio State has, you know, we're going to call it out, Ohio State is currently failing in this particular area, but, like, the Big Ten overall by bringing in Kevin Warren. I believe Kevin Warren is a Northwestern grad, very competent person. We've seen how he was able to... Uh, manage the COVID-19 situation very early on in his tenure. So like, you know, doing a real kick-ass job in his first few months, which have been like a really terrible first few months for the Big Ten, like they have been for the rest of the country. And also to your point about Black athletes being forced to perform for the delight of fans, I like this paragraph in the study, which says, While an athletics department may genuinely care about academic success and the healthy development of student athletes, players often receive contradictory messages from coaches who are expected to win, advance to bowl games, and the NCAA basketball tournament and fill stadiums with excited fans who buy tickets and make donations. So these pressures explain, at least in part, why coaches discourage student-athlete engagement in activities and experiences beyond athletics that lead to academic and personal success. I mean, we just saw, I yeah, it was Iowa. They, they don't allow their players to tweet. I think I read that correctly. So that has actually been a policy for a very long time. And Iowa's head coach, is, he, in the past, he's been praised for it um, because you you do see like in general like 18 to 22 year olds on twitter with a very large platform like you've seen at other schools how that can go awry and so this is true i was coaching staff has said like we're just not going to allow you to be on twitter and that's just a thing i always had coach is not on well he might be on twitter but he is certainly not active and like but you're right like in the context of this conversation like not allowing your players to have a voice, like all of a sudden, like that policy, which seemed like a good idea at the time, like now becomes a problem. Yeah, it's it. And fair enough, you know, if it's like players are okay with that because it's Iowa's thing. But to me, that just says, like you said, they don't trust what these men have to say 
they don't think it's worth hearing. They don't think that they can be educational or articulate, like, you know, and the NCAA, we can even get into that with like the name, image, and likeness. They just want to profit off of these athletes. Basically, this whole study, and again, I said we'll link it, it's really informative, but it more or less proves that college football and basketball is just one giant stick-to-sports campaign. Shut up and dribble, shut up and tackle, and as privileged white fans, I think we need to be better about not letting this conversation fizzle out, because you should want to see your favorite players succeed in other parts of their lives for themselves and not just... For your entertainment. Tia, I think that's a great point to kind of conclude this discussion on, but I did just want to add, like, to your point of, like, allowing players to have a voice, we have seen, like, so much power and passion from yeah. so many athletes, college athletes, professional athletes, like, we all, like, we always knew that Malcolm Jenkins was a vocal and stand-up guy, but, like, to see so many current and former Ohio State athletes using their platforms in the last few weeks. People that, you know, are not necessarily super active. But yeah. if you want to talk about people who have become powerful voices, I this know. is it's it's been incredible. And we're gonna talk about some of those particular people who are making a difference not only with their voices, but also with their dollars and their foundations. So we will discuss that after a quick ad break. So stay tuned. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So to flip the script a bit, we are going to actually highlight some incredible things that former Buckeye, Buckeye athletes are doing in the world. Meredith, want to run through the few that you found? Yeah, so... At first, we talked about, you know, we talked before the ad break about Malcolm Jenkins and how he's continued to be a vocal supporter of the black community, in particular, Black Lives Matter. But Malcolm Jenkins does have his own foundation. The mission of his foundation is to effectuate positive change change in the lives of youths, particularly those in underserved communities. The charity provides resources, innovative opportunities, and experiences that will help youth succeed in life and become contributing, excuse me, members of their communities. So like, I, how can, like how can you be anything but supportive of Malcolm Jenkins? And right. especially in this last week, we've seen what he has done, not only his foundation, but also how he has used his social media platform to, you know, educate a lot of, I'm going to say his New Orleans Saints community, <laughs> um, but also the rest of the world about like why this movement is important and a lot of misperceptions that we might have. And that has obviously led to positive discussion. I'm obviously alluding to his conversation with Drew Brees um, and how Drew Brees ultimately changed his tune a little bit about um, his perspective on the Black Lives Matter movement. So, or I guess not, you know, Black Lives Matter, I hope, but also like maybe he shouldn't be so focused on people kneeling during the national anthem. And, you know, certainly like Malcolm Jenkins, 
talk has influenced the NFL because we saw them also sort of change their tune a little bit in the last week. Yeah, and people wonder, like, people are criticizing him because he made that video, and they're like, oh, you could have just called Drew Brees, like, you didn't have to put him on blast, and that's exactly what he had to do. I mean, if he didn't, there would be people wondering, like, why aren't you speaking out? And then, no, there's no doubt in my mind that that video caused change within the NFL, and it caused Drew Brees to you know, change his ways. So I mean, I'm sure I'm certain that Drew Brees had to have called Malcolm Jenkins afterward oh, and I, had the conversation. Yeah. But like, to your point, he has this platform and it's not just Drew Brees who needs to hear it. It was a lot of players throughout the NFL and it was a lot of fans in the NFL. Yeah. You know, you're still seeing people on Twitter who are saying like, I'll never support players who kneel. Well, does everyone on Twitter know that Colin Kaepernick only kneels because a Green Beret said that's about the most respectful thing that you can do? Like... Heads up, folks. Speaking of the madness on Twitter, we also just saw that uh, former Ohio State wide receiver Michael Thomas partnered with Medical Debt and has made a donation that will wipe out approximately $2.3 million of medical debt for economically challenged families in the greater New Orleans area. That is amazing. Amazing. And yet... (laughs) still controversial somehow I don't understand but there are literally people in the comments like canceled or no longer a fan or unfollow and it's like what part don't you like why about are that? you mad <laughs> like people are people love... get to live like what I don't understand <laughs> I loved uh land grant tweeted actually someone was like you know you lost me yeah, they said, you lost me on this one. And Langrant was like, not a loss will regret. <laughs> yeah, not our loss. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, which also, uh, PSA, we here at Langrant do not care if you are offended by anything we're saying in this episode. PSA. <laughs> <laughs> well, this one, uh, to counter that point, um, and we actually uh, shared a little bit about this, I think, on the blog or on the site last week, but... Jim Harbaugh has actually been an amazingly stand-up guy throughout not and you know what I don't even want to say he's been a stand-up guy throughout the last couple weeks he's actually been doing this for many many years in his coaching career it might be easy to forget that Jim Harbaugh is the one who started Colin Kaepernick in San Francisco and continued to support him He's continued to employ black assistant coaches who have spoken about the opportunities that he's presented to them, opportunities that they certainly wouldn't have had on other coaching staff. So I, you know what, I really hope (laughs) that for Ohio State fans, that is the spiciest thing that I have said on this show. (laughs) Okay, here, let's balance it out. He is a really good person. He's just a really bad football coach. I think we, like, that's a good, happy medium. (laughs) Yeah, and then... The last person that I want to highlight uh, is, you know, and he's still kind of a mystery and I certainly like don't want to put pressure, but like we've seen the work that Jordan Fuller did at Ohio State. He actually led a group that supported black athletes on campus at Ohio State. And I'm he's in the NFL now. He's got this platform like he has this opportunity kind of similar to what we've seen with other players. And it would it'll be interesting to watch him you know, if we can hope for it, follow in something like Malcolm Jenkins' footsteps. Yeah, that'd be awesome. All right, I think that is all we have for today. It was a pretty jam-packed episode. Meredith, 
um, want to go ahead with the shout outs? Yeah, so I sort of have two. One is very specific and one is more general. The very specific one is, uh, I don't know if you saw Jeff Bezos' Instagram post last week, but he has been publicly sharing emails that he's received from customers protesting the fact that Amazon is uh, doing work to support the Black Lives Matter movement. And yeah, I know. But he his reasoning for doing so is he's like, we have to let people know that these types of people still exist. Um, and he yeah. shared an email from someone named Dave, for the record, not the Dave I'm married to, in case <laughs> that needed to be said. But he used the N-word twice. He said, like, oh God. not like he said he would not be supporting Amazon um, because they are siding with a bunch of worthless N-words. And Jeff Bezos, he replied, you're not a customer. I'm upset about losing, Dave. Yeah, don't let the door hit you. Yeah, um, and so he and he shared some other replies, you know, that I'm going to say, like, the responses that he received were maybe less vulgar, but, like, similarly hateful. Like, I don't understand, like, why you're supporting this movement, why you're, like, you know, the implication is, like, you're supporting them instead of serving your customers. And he was very, very clear in his responses. The reason I'm supporting them is because my 17-year-old son, I've never worried about him being murdered at the hands of police, and there's people who do. And, you know, I just, and he said, I'm not going to change my stance, and if you need to find somewhere else to go, great. So I appreciate that there are some leaders of very large organizations with large platforms who are using not only you know, their followings, but also the money that their organizations have to ensure that we're fighting systemic racism as much as possible. So that's my specific shout out, Jeff Bezos. Thank you. (laughs) My general shout out is, you know, as we just talked about, and um, as we were going through the foundations and some of the former Ohio State players who have really been amazingly stand up guys throughout the not only the last couple of weeks, but throughout their careers. um, I just want to shout out the role that sports has played in furthering these discussions and giving voice to these issues in a way that help us to have this conversation. For sure. I mean, here you and here you and I are talking about this, and yeah. it's it's important, and we need to have this conversation. So thank you, sports. Yeah, You're, yeah, that's so true. Um, I'm going to copy you with the, you know, prominent businessmen who have a platform to speak out, Ben and Jerry the owners of Ben & Jerry's Ice Cream, you may have heard of them, they went a different route from most companies who are putting out a black square on Instagram or just hashtagging Black Lives Matter and moving on with their original content. Um, Instead, they, they went all out. They put out a statement. Basically, the headline is, silence is not an option. They call out President Trump, they call out Congress, they have like a numbered system of what we can do. They basically say, George Floyd was a son, a brother, a father, and a friend. The police officer who put his knee on George Floyd's neck and the police officers who stood by and watched didn't just murder George Floyd, they stole him. They stole him from his family and his friends, his church and his community, and from his own future. I mean, and the rest of it is just, they don't hold back. And it's one of the best statements that I've seen a prominent business do. So shouting out them 
And I guess I can do a less specific shout out as well. I'm just, no, 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 I'm gonna do good news. Philly is opening up this weekend. <laughs> Finally, we can go sit out on patios. We are so behind the rest of the world in that aspect. So I'm just really excited. <laughs> we just opened up last weekend as well. And I did go to, I went to a patio on Wednesday of this week. Yeah. And it was wonderful. It's taking everything in me not to go at like noon today. It's so nice out. <laughs> yeah, guys, be smart. Wear your masks if you're within six feet of people, but support local business and try to get some vitamin D in your life. Yes, for sure. All right, that is all we have for today. As a reminder, you can follow me on Twitter at Tia Johnston underscore, Meredith at Meredith Hine, and the site at LandGrant33. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks again for listening to Play Like a Girl. And as always, go Bucks.